Hello and welcome to Blackwell's Presents. My name is Sean Kane. I'm a books journalist at The Guardian and a former bookseller of this parish, the wonderful Aberinthine Blackwell's Bookshop in Oxford. Independent Bookshop Week is part of the Books Are My Bag campaign run by the Booksellers Association and seeks to celebrate independent bookshops in the UK and Ireland, particularly the booksellers who make bookshops what they are. All this week, we're sharing the stories of some of the booksellers at Blackwell's in Oxford. And today, sitting in the old gaffer's office with me is Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi. You're my old boss. I am. This is and weird. you're a fantastic bookseller, <laughs> oh, look, You were one you. of the best. Okay, well, now we can end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in fiction, aren't you? The best department. I was, yeah, yeah. But you're not I in now run anymore. the whole shop on the sales manager for the whole of Blackwell. So whilst Rebecca's the overall boss, mm. I'm her assistant and I look after the whole commercial offer and all the buying in the shop as well. Amazing. I've got an amazing job. I love it. <laughs> so before we get to that heady level of power, let's talk about how you got there. Because you, you've been a bookseller for ages, haven't you? Yeah, so I'm going into my 17th year of bookselling. Wow. I started off at uh, Waterstones in Birmingham, where I was a law temp. So helping <laughs> with uh, back to university in the law department. And then I did the medical department. And I always really wanted to work in the children's department. So after about a year, I think I eventually wrangled my way to a weekend position in the children's department and then I got a full-time position in fiction Mm -hmm. uh, in that shop and went on from there. Amazing. And so then you made your way towards Blackwells? Yeah, so after I think um, 11 years at Waterstones, I was going to leave to become a teacher actually. I was a little bit um uh disgruntled i think waterstone's a great company but the independence was certainly lost right i uh, see we weren't buying our books and yeah i was approached by rebecca who i used to work with at waterstones to come here i used to shop here when i was a kid I used to come here like once or twice a year and travel so yeah just an amazing opportunity hmm. and uh couldn't turn it down and it's proven to be as exciting and wonderful as i as i expected and it's interesting to meet people that blackwells was a sort of thing that loomed you know on the horizon for them before they actually worked here um so when you when you came to work here was it everything that you expected was it better was it worse was it um it uh, probably better to be honest i think um coming into this gaffer's office for a start from the interview um <laughs> everyone had their interview in here yeah, i love it absolutely. we still do interview <laughs> interviews one-to-ones and if you're in trouble you come to the gaffer's <laughs> office um unless you're signing books um, okay which none of us have but <laughs> Yeah, I think um, seeing how big it was, I don't think I was aware, obviously, this how big this building was, but I wasn't aware of the international reach of Blackwell's yes. um, because of its history of selling internationally um, and then with our website as well. So that was the real surprise, I think. Mm. But um, yeah, the, the biggest difference for me was to come and sell books that I actually read, yes. particularly translated fiction. You know, I absolutely authors that I absolutely adore that I really struggled to sell in Birmingham or the Midlands <laughs> to come here and actually be able to hand sell books that I genuinely loved mm. was was the best thing and still is. And what was the difference then? Was it because you had a certain amount of autonomy on what you could order in, or was it more that customers are a little bit more adventurous here? I think we're fortunate in Oxford, uh, both with um, the uh, location of the university, but also the tourists. Oxford's a very well read city. Um, so that part of it in terms of what they want to come, they're adventurous in their reading. Mm. But yeah, you're completely right with autonomy. We 
we can and do um, try our luck with things that perhaps other bookshops can't and we do really well with them mm. and that's the most exciting thing I love B.S. Johnson he's one of my favourite writers I remember ever. your love for um, B.S. Johnson <laughs> yeah and you know I think I literally went from one week being told no you can't order those they won't sell mm. to coming in and immediately doing a promotion and hand selling lots of them yes um, and that's you know just one example that we can do in this shop which is still um, exciting and mm. I love it and there was always that sense uh, particularly in fiction when we were working together that you could just totally shape it into what you wanted and you know make new subgenres for example if you wanted mm. to really you know push something in particular and I remember I don't think it even exists anymore but being able to put together an LGBT yeah, uh, section it, it does, for example it does still exist uh, oh, it absolutely does. so yeah I think that's a really interesting um thing to talk about because yeah I remember um, a very exciting night with you Sean where we <laughs> rebranded we put translated fiction in that's right um, that was an evening from hell <laughs> yeah it was an evening from, there was beer if I remember <laughs> yeah um, but LGBTQ plus is really interesting because it is my job as sales managers to make sure that we've got the most commercial offers in place mm. but then be experimental and try different things out i do think this shop's quite interesting it's quite sad in a way that actually we always do pride promotions we always have uh, since you implemented it had an lgbtq plus section but we don't actually sell that much mm. so we're really keen actually not to remove it completely so whilst non-fiction's expanded and we sell a lot of non-fiction um, we don't sell much fiction. So what we actually did was place the fiction section alongside the non-fiction section. So downstairs in social sciences, alongside gender, next to there, there's a huge mm. um, non-fiction section. And then we've got the LGBTQ plus fiction. Mm. And, but that's something which, um, again, our autonomy and trying things out. I've got um, a meeting with the publisher in um, a few weeks' time, and they're coming up from London. And we're going to be um, stocking all of their range. We're the first bookshop outside of London where we're just going to do a promotion. And just see um, how it goes. Publisher in, uh, um, featured publisher just on those. And they just publish LGBTQ+. So, yeah, mm. we do still try things. And I think, yeah, with you, Sean, not just saying it, but <laughs> that's you were an example of a bookseller that could see that you could do whatever you wanted mm. um, within reason. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's always exciting working with people like you. And I think at that time we had Daisy Johnson. We did. Um, we Book had nominated Riddell, Daisy Johnson. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and Becky Riddell, who's still here, and Rain. We just had a really great group of people that mm. wanted to try different things. Yeah. And I think that's the real difference. We do pinch quite a few booksellers from Waterstones. <laughs> and that's... It. I've got one-to-one -one this afternoon with one who, who can't quite yet see that autonomy that you can do what right. you want. And actually, you and Hurst, who used to be our... who had my role before um, me... He always said, do it and wait for, to be told off. Yes. Uh, don't wait for a yes, just do it first. And, and that's that was, absolutely the mantra. Yeah. yeah, and it was so much fun being able to operate like that. Because, I mean, it was funny, interesting. I remember meeting a customer once who got really cross because we had a poetry section. And she loved poetry, but she didn't like that it was separate. And she said, you've, you've ghettoized it. She used that mm -hmm. word. And I went, no, but it's, it's a lovely home. And that was sort of how I saw setting up that LGBTQ section for fiction was that it wasn't to separate it out from fiction. It was to show people that they had somewhere that it was completely safe for them to browse yep. and it didn't have to be like they have to look on their phone for the, you know, the gay novel that they weren't quite ready to buy yet. They knew that it would be in that section and they yep. could find it really easily. And that's exactly what we felt with translated fiction as well. Mm. Um, 
you know, this was this was five years ago where we took translated fiction out, and we grew fiction sales in this shop that year by twenty eight percent in a year when um, the fiction was slightly in decline because of ebooks, and that's exactly the reason. And you do upset customers. Why isn't Murakami just in the straightforward uh, run of fiction writers? And ideally, if this shop was even bigger than it was, we'd be, we'd have Murakami as an example in both. But actually, I love Japanese fiction. And my frustration was, right, where do I go next from Murakami? Mm. And you go to a straightforward A to Z and you can't find. Whereas if you go to our translated shelves now, you've got three or four shelves of Japanese writing. And then you go into Korean and then you think, wow, we've got Icelandic. Let's have a look (laughs) at that. Um, And that's exactly what we feel is really important. And a a difficult one, which we've done recently, was um, African writers because they're not as a rule in translation but we felt as though we wanted to highlight them not just as a display not as a feature but actually properly highlight African writers and that was quite difficult because again you do get the challenge of um, you ghettoizing and separating them, you're taking them away from white fiction. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're actually trying to celebrate them yeah. and get um, readers to discover writers that they perhaps haven't heard of. And if I compare that with working for a non-independent bookshop, um, we introduced a black fiction section in Birmingham that was really popular. Um, and we were actually told to remove it because... Um, the head office felt as though that was ghettoizing, but actually our customers really appreciated it. And that's a really key thing here is that we do things for our customers, um, Mm. for booksellers as well, so they can try things out, but really it's customer-led, it should Mm. be. Yeah. And so then in terms of, you mentioned before B.S. Johnson and you mentioned Ray, I always remembered that you and Ray were people that I'd I'd go up to a customer and go, oh, do you need a hand? And they go, oh, no, I'm waiting for Dave. Like they didn't want my help. They wanted your help. I think you're very kind. It's definitely more Ray than me. Ray is um, a legend, though. Yeah. I've met people in London that when they've found out I work too, go, oh, do you know Ray? And I was like, yeah, I know Ray. Everyone knows Ray. Yeah, he's a furious <laughs> reader. And, and he, um, um, if you ever ask Ray, he'd be too, um, not shy. Ray's not shy, but he wouldn't want to come on this. He doesn't like the publicity. Yeah. But, um, I think authors and publishers are desperate to get the Ray recommendation. <laughs> There's a book called Naked Singularity. Yep. I remember when I started, he was hand-selling Naked uh, Singularity, which, if you don't know it, I think it's like a 700-page monster. Um, and we sold, in that period, sort of October through to Christmas, we sold like 300 copies <laughs> of this ginormous <laughs> book and there's um new finished grammar which i think we ray single-handedly got reprinted uh, because he was hand selling it so much um and i think that's that's the real excitement here and he starts off by raving about those books to um his colleagues and i i i try and cannot aspire to what ray does <laughs> well you totally did though i remember people asking you know asking yeah. for you and you're very kind i think it, and it still happens now i picked up the phone the other day and the customer immediately was disappointed. And she was like, oh, where's that nice Irish chap, Stephen? He always knows what I like. And I think that's the, one of the lovely things about this shop is that someone could come and ask you, and we do get asked, like any bookshop and any bookseller will know, um, people come to booksellers expecting us to know the answer to everything. Mm. So across this shop floor, I can be asked, what book should I read? Uh, I'm giving a lecture next week on data in medical ethics um, and they expect <laughs> us to answer. But actually, we have the expertise across this shop and you're able to go, I don't know the answer to that. 
um, but I'll hand you on to Hannah Allen, for example. And Pete McMullen, who's another star of this shop, he's been selling printed music here for, I think, 47 years, I think. Um, and he always famously says that um, he doesn't need Google because he's got a brain. And he's <laughs> so customers come into him and say, I need the sheet music for this. I don't know what it's called. And they'll sing it to him. Wow. Or reverse, he'll hum it to them and they'll say, yeah, that's one. His knowledge is absolutely that's extraordinary. That's bonkers. Yeah. So the much lame version of that is that we used to, the challenge was when someone would come in and go, oh, I don't know what it is, but it's blue and it was popular. And we, after a while, you do sort of absolutely just know before they even open yeah. their mouth what they're looking for. Um, but do you have any like favorite customers that you deal with? Um, the, yeah, I have actually. So um, if I go back home to Birmingham, I get mocked by my family and my friends for not having a Birmingham accent. If I'm here, I still get mocked for having a Birmingham <laughs> accent. So grass is grass uh, and pass is pass. And staff is staff, not staff. And I, <laughs> my first day um, here, I was in the children's department and I was helping a customer. I thought I was helping a customer. And she said, uh, could I speak to someone who speaks with um, a proper English, please? <gasps> And I was, That's so I was offensive. horrified, yeah. I was, I said, oh, absolutely, I'll get someone else to assist you. So I think, um, I think Rebecca Waiting or it might have been Gabby came along and <laughs> uh, stepped in and helped. So I've met this customer a few times since. She's now an example of a customer who now comes in and will only be dealt with by me. Hey. So comes in and asks for me uh, specifically. And she's, uh, she's a classic I won't name her name, obviously, but she's a classic Oxford parent right. or grandparent, I should say. My my uh, grandson is seven, but, you know, he's going on 18 and he's got the reading age of uh, a graduate and he likes this, this and this. And then you just hand-sell galore. It's yeah. fantastic. But, yeah, she's a really, really fun customer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned before that you, you wanted to work in children's. Uh, is that because there is that element of you are possibly shaping someone's reading for the rest of their life? At that point? There's no two ways about it. It's seeing children in bookshops or libraries is just wonderful. Um, you know, I've had children myself in the last uh, three, four years. And if we're not in the library, we're in a bookshop. And if we're not there, we're at home reading. And I think seeing children come in and being excited. So book-loving children, seeing them come in and just seeing this bookshop and going, wow, is absolutely wonderful. But actually trying to convert... Um, children that perhaps don't get to go to bookshops that's a real joy mm -hmm. um, particularly around world book day and around that when we get schools that perhaps you know they they don't get to go to bookshops or libraries very often and reading the magical stories and getting them excited that's that's the real joy it's fantastic selling wonderful books to um, book loving adults but um, selling the magic of books to children is wonderful mm -hmm. um, and I think also perhaps to adults that don't read as much you'll quite often get people coming here that have uh, it's on the tourist trail blackwells and oxford's on the tourist trail so people come in to have a look to hear about the norrington room and the uh, 14 miles as some people say of bookshelves it is only three and a half miles <laughs> um and it is a wonderful room but they don't necessarily want to buy a book mm. but i think we've got pretty good at trying to convince them that certain books are worth reading mm. and you know um, even if it's been converted from 
films, so Lord of the Rings, for example, and they see our great big Tolkien section, or we bring them up to the gaffer's office and tell them stories about how Tolkien would have sat here um, and met with the old gaffer, and telling them those stories, again, creates the magic, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about this shop is its history and heritage and the people that here. Dorothy Sayers was secretary mm-hmm. to the gaffer um, and would have been in this room every day, and the gaffer wrote... Um, you know, told her to leave and go and be a writer. Told Dorothy Sayers, "You're better than any writer out there. Mm-hmm. Go." Uh, I think he gave her a year's salary to go off and write her first book. So, th- there's so many great stories. Some made up, some true. Um, <laughs> but even you know, I'm not just saying it, but uh, you know, I take some pride in um, yourself, Sean, coming here and now the oh. fantastic work you're doing Thank at the Guardian, you. but also celebrating bookshops as you always do. Um, Daisy as well. You know, we're Daisy's always, kind of a mind-blowing story, yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always knew she was going to be brilliant, yeah. but um, I think, you know, kicking her out a little bit earlier so that she could get her headspace or catching up with her to make sure that her headspace was okay. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think we're all really proud of her, and she's incredibly good. If you haven't read Everything Under, you absolutely yes, should. it is a requirement. Yeah. I mean, it, it is an amazing thing how bookshops tend to um, just sort of attract people that are just hugely talented and I think the the senses that I have had doing these interviews so far a lot of them have felt like um, from other people at least that people have said to them well why are you still working in a bookshop like why would you do that and like it's a step backwards from something else that they should be doing but there's so many wonderful things about working in a bookshop and I'm you know speaking for Daisy and myself as well I know that we both you know there's things about bookselling we really miss you know that it is it's it's not always it's not just a it's always a stepping stone somewhere else it's a fabulous job to do it's it it is tricky that you're completely right there's so many talented people that come here Mm. uh, and in every bookshop I've ever worked in you're surrounded by so many interesting people that have got they're interested in people and they're interesting and I think that's fed by books by love of books Mm. you love stories and you love finding out things and and the bookshop now absolutely is again full of people that are so passionate about so many different things the 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 challenge is is it a stepping stone to something um and absolutely we get a lot of people because of uh our closeness to oxford brooks and the publishing course so we get a lot of people coming from the publishing course and going on to publishing and we're proud about that and we're Mm. happy um about that but um you get strange people like me who um you know did my first degree did my master's but actually always just really wanted to work in a bookshop and i was lucky enough at waterstones to have um people that um could see my passion and uh, hard work i hope um (laughs) and um you know fast track me to 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 develop and learn and you see people now that come in that um we might as well mention pay. Pay isn't great. It's retail. Margins yeah. on books are incredibly tight. It's really difficult to make um, a bookshop a success, as many independent independent bookshops would know. And not everyone's owned by a hedge fund. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's tricky to pay mm. really well. It is. Absolutely everyone in this company wants to pay booksellers the living wage and we we do try as hard as we possibly can if we make some money our first instinct is let's pay our staff more whether individuals as booksellers can see that there's a future in that because you have to make some sacrifices you're Mm. not going to go abroad every year or live in a great fantastic house but you are like me going to have children that are surrounded by books and 
Arthur, my oldest son, who's three and a half, sees this shop as his second home mm. and absolutely loves it here. So I think, yeah, it's a lifestyle choice, as mm. many people will know. But yeah, I think hopefully we can be both. We can get booksellers who come in, um, see a career for them. We've got Peter Saxel, who's coming up to his 50th year. That's so amazing. So he started the week we landed on the moon. <laughs> um, and he's been selling classic books ever since. And then we've got Louis, you know, who um, is one of the most intelligent guys I've ever worked with. And actually, he came back, I think, for the 15th time to work the summer and actually sat him down and said, Louis, you're far too talented and clever. What are you going to do with your life? And he was like, oh, I'll just stay here until I find something else. And I actually just kicked him out to go and um, move down to London and crack on with his writing career. So I think sometimes, hopefully, but yeah, you're surrounded by like-minded people who mm. love books and yeah. it's a great place to be. Well, the interesting thing is when that whole, the, the pay conversation was raised recently in the news um, because um, some Waterstones booksellers were sort of challenging their head office on um, trying to get a living wage for booksellers. The interesting thing that emerged from that was um, this wider conversation of reassessing how customers look at booksellers and whether it's a profession. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realise just how big a skill it is and how much work goes into it um, and that there are sacrifices that are made mm -hmm. by really good booksellers in order to, to keep doing it. Absolutely. I mean, I'll stick up for James Daunt a bit. Uh, I was there when James Daunt took over at Waterstones, and one of the first things he talked about was um, how on in Europe, uh, I think particularly in Germany, it's it, um, you, you take a degree in bookselling and you, it's a qualification, and he tried to implement that into Waterstones. I've got friends who um, who don't like books as much as me and who I went to university and they've gone on to great careers, some at Google, some at all sorts of places and they'll always just say, oh, you're in retail. I don't consider myself to be in retail. If ever I left this job, I wouldn't dream of going to work in any other retail environment because I don't care where you put your peas or your bottles of wine or whatever or your <laughs> new shirts. I, but if I walk into a bookshop, I'm immediately interested about where booksellers have place a certain book or why they've stocked that or why they're hand selling that and I think that was the the slightly sad thing for me and I, th I think it has changed at Waterstones that shops weren't making those personal choices anymore yeah. they were told what was book of the month and you will hand sell this and you were judged on that and I, I, from what I know I don't think it's as much like that anymore but yeah I think how customers perceive booksellers you only hear the negative, don't you? So um, it's it's rare. We probably get one email a week that's praising us um, compared to the, the two. My book arrived a day later than I was told it would. <laughs> um, but how they perceive us in terms of our knowledge and what we know is probably underplayed, yeah. bit, I think. Yeah. Well... Give us the hand sell because this is Independent Bookshop Week. Um, you've got five books that you would hand yeah. to a, a, a customer coming into the shop. What are they? Well, I might as well go back to Ray. So just <laughs> I was on holiday. I was going down to Cornwall. And I said to Ray a few days before, I said, Ray, I'm going away. Probably won't get much chance to read because I'll be on the beach with the children. I said, but I just want one book that I can really lose myself in. Uh, came in the next day. On my desk was a proof of uh, the new Kevin Barry, Night Boat to Tangier. And it had a note in saying, um, it's like Samuel Beckett on weed and speed. <laughs> and it was. And it was hilarious. And it's brilliant. And I've since reading it, been handling it to my colleagues as well. So Margot... 
Margot, who works in the law department, pro- department, is probably most in tune with me and Ray in terms of what we like. So um, absolutely amazing book, fantastic. And that's um, due out in September, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yep. It's a little way off, unfortunately. but um, Keep an eye out for it's it. It's a marvellous book. Um, and yeah, very Beckett-esque. Um, essentially, really quickly, it's two people, um, two former gangsters in a ferry port in Spain. And they are, it is just like waiting for Godot in, <laughs> in gangster world. It's hilarious. Um, the Buried I read before by Peter Hester, which was not my sort of book at all, but was hand-sold by a really good rep called Mel from Faber. <laughs> and uh, kind of said, Dave, you should look at this book. I think you'll really like it. Um, and it's kind of about the history of uh, archaeology in Egypt, but actually it's more about how the ancient history of Egypt has had an impact on uh, modern politics and the people and how they perceive their past and talks a lot about um, why democracy doesn't work in uh, Northern Africa and the Middle East and just a really beautifully written book by Peter Hessler um, I loved that book, it was superb mm. um, Jared Diamond one of my favourites, really excited when Upheaval came out so I read that virtually immediately, loved Jared Diamond um, he's to me one of those authors that should be more widely recognised and I wish we saw heard him more on our radio, saw him more on our television and um, and saw more in every single bookshop you know, I'd be really happy if he walked into supermarkets and they were selling those books <laughs> as well um, and uh, my penultimate one would be Invisible Women, so I read it quite a while ago, again um, because of booksellers in this shop who were shouting about it and saying you should absolutely read that. Yeah. Um, it was really nice actually because I did read it and uh, was blown away. And I think one particular bookseller, Zoe, has been championing it. Zoe herself. mentioned it in her yeah. list, yes. Um, but it's fab that we're actually seeing that book have an impact in the Houses of Parliament yes. now, and MPs are actually talking about. Um, uh, how we can alter the world to make it a fairer place for women and it's a superb book um, absolutely really important and as uh, another colleague Becky Whidden said more important that men read it than women I think and I think that's a really really key point mm. um, and then my final one bit of a sales pitch it's a classic <laughs> but something that we can do uh, so Zalika Dobson it's been out of print for quite a while uh, by Max Beerbaum and we uh, worked quite hard to get it reprinted uh, so all Blackwells have it um, it's an, it's such a good book you know who's a peer and friend of Oscar Wilde and uh, although this was his only novel it is as funny and witty and is probably the best Oxford novel and we're really fortunate is that we've got Kelly Swain a um, fantastic poet who works on our uh, first floor and she wrote an amazing introduction for it as mm. well so yeah I'm going to be a truly that. a book of the bookshop it is indeed <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dave. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> and thank you for listening to this very special episode of Blackwell's Presents. If you'd like to get in touch, do head to Twitter and contact us on at Blackwell Oxford and at Books Are My Bag. From me, Sean Kane, happy reading. <laughs>